you have a copy of the scriptures, let's look together this morning in Jonah chapter 1. You might remember last week we looked at the first three verses together, and I'm going to read those verses again and press on through verse 16 of chapter 1. So I'll read this to you. Remember, this is God's Word. It gives life. It gives hope. It defines our lives. And it's always in every place showing us Jesus. Hear this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and they cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's pray together. Lord, as we gather here, you are present. Lord, we are here because we need to learn more of your gospel. And your gospel needs to go deeper and deeper into us. We thank you, Lord, that you have plans for us. We thank you, Lord, that your plans for us are for our well-being. That they are not for evil. 
So Lord, even as we look at this passage together, convince us afresh that your plans for us are for a bright future. That your plans for us are to give us a hope as an anchor of our soul. So God, please work your great grace and love into us that this week we would be prepared and equipped for what's ahead. Jesus, we pray all of this because of you. Without you, we would have no hope that our prayers would ever get to the Father. But because of you, we can pray boldly, depending upon your Spirit. So we thank you. Amen. As we look at this passage this morning, remember that the world to God is very, very small. God sees everything that's going on in the world. He sees everyone in the world. He sees everything at all times and all places. The world is very small to God. He looks at us and He sees everything that we're planning to do. He knows the intentions and the motives of our heart for why we do anything and everything. The world is small to God. And as he looks at the world, what he not only sees is everything about us, but he sees all of the sin and all of the brokenness and all of the evil in the world. He takes notice of it all. And the brokenness of the world and the sin of the world and the evil and wickedness in the world are absolutely repulsive to God. That's what the first couple of verses tell you. And yet they move God to action. God sees you, He sees me. He sees our world. He sees the brokenness. He sees sin. He sees wickedness. And He moves to action. That's why He summons Jonah. He says, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh because I love that place. Jonah, I need you to go there because you need to tell them about me. And you know what Jonah does. Jonah runs. He runs the opposite direction. God tells Jonah to go east and Jonah goes west. And the reason why Jonah runs the opposite direction, the Bible makes very clear. The Bible tells us why Jonah runs. It's not because Jonah didn't understand. It's not because Jonah didn't have enough information. Jonah ran because he knew that God was merciful he knew that God is gracious. He knows that God forgives. He knows that God is patient. Jonah ran because he understood the character of God. Look in chapter 4 and verse 2. He tells us, God, I know that you're gracious and I don't want to go. Let's, let's put it this way. Jonah doesn't believe that those in Nineveh deserve God's grace. Jonah knows that God is merciful, and when he looks at the place of Nineveh, he thinks those people don't deserve God's mercy. So I'm not going to go. So he runs the opposite direction. You see, this pulls us right in from the beginning, doesn't it? Not only does it recalibrate us and remind us that God sees everything, but it also challenges us to remember, oh yeah, how often times do we think that person over there, those people over there, one, God doesn't care about them, or two, they don't deserve God's mercy and grace. 
So often we live our lives as if we are the ones that deserve mercy and grace, right? Because we're so wonderful and beautiful. And God has to raise up a pastor named Jonah to show us the sinfulness of sin through a pastor's heart. Because that's what Jonah was. God uses this pastor to teach us all kinds of things. He uses this pastor to remind us that God is pursuing Jonah. God is pursuing Nineveh. God is pursuing, pursuing me. God is pursuing you. And He's doing that relentlessly. His heart is committed to pursuing His people, finding them and growing them because He relentlessly loves them. So you see, this is where we pick up the story today. We pick up the story with Jonah on the boat, verse 4. Jonah is on the boat and he's going the opposite direction from where God told him to go. And as they are in the boat and just, you know, riding along, everything's great, all of a sudden a storm hits. Now what's so fascinating about this is if you look in verse 4, you get a really vivid picture of where this storm came from. The text tells you that God hurled this storm. Isn't that pretty gripping language? You can picture in your mind a pitcher getting ready to, to throw the ball to the catcher. It's as if in our minds we can picture God hurling this storm as a pitcher throws the ball to the catcher. He hurls this storm. And there we are. Now Jonah is on the boat. Now Jonah is with other sailors. They're going the opposite direction. And now all of a sudden a storm is there and the storm is raging. If you notice, as we read through the verses, you'll find that the storm rages more and more tempestuous. It gets more and more violent as it goes on. But then, God gives us a glimpse of what's happening on the boat. First, there's the image that God hurls this storm at the boat, and then we get to read the details, at least many of them, about what's actually going on on the boat as the storm is raging. So we find ourselves on the boat, and what we observe is that those who are on the ship are trying to figure out what's going on. What in the world is happening? Look at verse 7. They cast lots to figure out, okay, well, let's roll the die and let's, by process of elimination, let's figure out where this storm came from. What is the cause of this storm? That's what they're thinking in their head. What has caused this? And as they're going through all their options, what happens is, is that they begin to find a passenger that as of yet they have been unable to find. Yes, you guessed it. His name is Jonah. You see, Jonah was deep in the ship. Jonah was in the bed of the ship and he was sleeping. Another translation of verse 5 tells you that Jonah was actually snoring so loudly that the men found him. That's the impression that's given. Can you just imagine being a sailor on this ship? A storm comes out of nowhere and it starts getting worse. You're thinking to yourself, man, I think this thing is going to break up. I think I'm going to be lost at sea. And you try to find the passengers on board and you're looking for all of them and you're going around all over the boat and finally you hear this guy snoring. 
And you go into his quarters, and who, lo and behold, there's Jonah. And they begin to interrogate Jonah. And they start asking him all kinds of questions. But before we get to those questions in chapter 8, don't forget what the fact that Jonah was on the boat sleeping tells you. You already know that he was on the boat because he was running away from God's face, right? Remember that? But now we find out that Jonah is sleeping. Just think about this. Jonah is so committed to Nineveh not hearing about God's mercy and Nineveh not hearing about God's grace because they don't deserve it that he is at the bottom of the ship asleep. He is so stubborn. He is so self-righteous. He is so committed to the Ninevites never hearing about God's grace that he is so at peace with that he is just asleep. Now, I tell you, that's some spite right there. It takes a really stubborn person to fall asleep in the middle of a storm because you're so committed to not going. So the men begin to ask him questions. Listen to these questions in verse 8. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Now, if you were to, this afternoon, perhaps you can write this down on a piece of paper like I did, but what you find out is Jonah didn't answer all the questions, did he? Here are the questions again. Look at verse 8. Occupation, where do you come from? Country, and whose people are you? And this is Jonah's answer in verse 9. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Do you notice that Jonah doesn't answer the question, what's your occupation? I'm a Hebrew. I worship the one true and living God, the God that made the sea and the dry land, the one that created everything from nothing. That's my God. Jonah, what's your occupation? I am a Hebrew. I worship the God of heaven and earth. Where are you from? I'm a Hebrew. Jonah, what's your job? I'm a Hebrew. He doesn't answer the question. Isn't that fascinating? Perhaps he is so full of shame and of guilt, maybe, that he can't even tell them what his job is. Because you know, like I do, his job is to be going the opposite direction and to tell people about God's mercy and love. Jonah is so full of guilt that he can't even answer the question. But verse 10 seems to indicate that he tells them that he's on the run which is not exactly the same thing as answering the question of what your job is. But he does tell them that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. That's at least a reason why they were angry with him. So here they are interrogating Jonah, finding out what in the world is going on, casting lots, figuring out what's happening. And Jonah just flat out won't engage completely. You see, this brings us to the point where we have to think about the purpose of the storm. That's the basic story of what happens here. Now let's dive into the purpose. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you the purpose from the beginning. Here's the purpose of the storm. Here's the purpose of the trials. Here's the purpose of our storms and the trials that we face in life. God is after your heart. That's the purpose. God is after Jonah's heart. He is after our hearts. He is after my heart. That's the purpose of the storm. Now let's figure out how we get there. 
Just for a minute, think with me about how we normally think about storms. How do you normally think about trials in life? How do you normally, how do I normally think about the storms of life? What we typically do is we focus on the cause. We're no different than the sailors at this point. We think about the cause. If we just knew the cause of the storms in our lives, if we just knew the cause of the trials in our lives, we think we would understand the storm. We think we would understand the trial. If I just understood the cause. And maybe if we dig a little bit deeper, the honest truth, the heart level truth is, If I just knew the cause of the trials and the cause of the storms, then I can fix it. If I just knew where this was coming from and the reason why it's here, I bet I could figure a way to fix this problem, to end this trial. But beloved, I want you to understand something. God wants us to understand not so much the cause. He wants us to understand the purpose. As we live our lives every single day and as we endure storms and endure trials, God wants us to understand the purpose. He doesn't want us to fixate on the cause. That's what we want to do is fixate on the cause. But He wants us to know the purpose. Those of you that know your Bibles a little bit better, perhaps love this verse in Romans 8, that all things work together for good. You remember that verse? You see, what that verse is really telling you is that it doesn't matter if things are going great exactly like you want. And it doesn't matter if you're going through a trial or you're going through a horrific storm that just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse to the point where you feel like you are going to break up and die. No matter the situation, no matter the trial, no matter the joy, no matter the difficulty, all things work for your good. Everything From God's perspective, everything in your life, in my life, is formative. Everything. And our hearts are so often set so that we think God is the best way to control my life. And we are so fixated on the cause that we forget that He wants us to think about the purpose. But I don't want us just to think for a few minutes about how we typically think about trials and storms. I want us to think also about how we normally deal with storms. How do we normally deal with trials? Well, let's just start where the text does. Look at verse 5. We get afraid. See, I think this story is telling us, it's laying out for us in a very clear way how we typically deal with storms and trials. Initially, perhaps, we might get afraid, just like the sailors. A trial comes into our lives that we're not expecting, and what we think is fear. What have I done? Cause, right? Something happens that we're not expecting, and we are afraid. We are afraid of what's ahead. We are afraid of the moment, and we might even be afraid of our past. 
we get afraid. Here's something else the text tells us. If you look at verse 13, what do you find the sailors doing? They've already come to Jonah. They've already asked him the questions. They've already figured out that they think he's the cause. And then what do they do in verse 13? They start rowing harder. Did you like that? Isn't that a powerful image? Here they are in this boat and this storm is raging. And what are they doing? Rowing harder. They are just going double time, double speed, as fast as they can. They are rowing as fast as they can. Isn't this exactly what we do when a storm hits our lives? If we're not afraid, oftentimes we start working harder. And the description that's attached to that in verse 13 is so profound. They wanted to lighten the load, right? They wanted to lighten the load. It's not just that they're rowing harder, it's that they're throwing things overboard to lighten the ship so that they might make it to shore more quickly. Sound familiar? A trial comes in my life, well here's what I need to do. Boom, cut something off. Amputate this for my life. Amputate that. Throw it out. Don't get rid of it. Just so you know, for the record, I am someone that likes to declutter and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about organizing I'm talking about when a storm comes into our lives, we just think, here's the solution. This has caused it. I'll get rid of it. Boom. And we get rid of it. But then it just so happens the storm comes back or the storm is still there. Oftentimes we get afraid or we start working a lot harder or we start throwing things over the edge because we want to make our lives easier. How about this? How about we just start crying out to all the gods out there? The mariners are in the storm, and what do they start doing? Well, they get afraid, and then they start crying out to their gods. Isn't this just like us? Oh, I know, you would never say that you acknowledge another god, perhaps, but you always go to the thing that makes you the most comfortable. You always go to the thing that you think will make you the most happy. You always go back to the thing that you used to do and still struggle with. These men cry out to their gods, and it's exactly what we do. When we get in a difficult situation, we will try anything and everything, right? Will this work for you? Well, let me try that. Maybe it'll work for me. We will cry out and reach out for anything. We will latch on to anything just to get rid of this trial, just to get rid of this storm. What about this? What about sometimes when trials and storms come, we just go to bed. We just go to sleep. A real difficult thing hits us and we're not ready for it. And we just find ourselves going to bed, trying to sleep it away. But maybe that doesn't apply either. Maybe maybe this one. How about this? We just want the storm over. We just want the trial to pass. We just want it gone. You see, that ties back into the cause, right? If this is the cause, I find out the cause, I fix it, storm gone, Dave happy. Oftentimes in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the trial, we just want it gone. Just like the sailors. But through the storm and through every trial, God is pursuing your heart and my heart. He is pursuing us. And God is not committed to letting us hide. 
God is committed to us understanding this. That's what Todd was talking about a couple weeks ago with John 4 with the woman at the well. God, Jesus didn't let her hide. God doesn't let us hide. He's pursuing us. Isn't it glorious that God tells Jonah in a moment, Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell him about me. And Jonah immediately says, okay, I'm going the opposite direction. And God doesn't wait for Jonah to turn around. Isn't that amazing? God's grace is pursuing in everything. Jonah is going the opposite direction and God's not sitting up there, well, I just wish I had enough power to turn Jonah around. God acts. God sends the storm because he's not waiting for Jonah to turn around. God is not waiting for us to turn around and get it right. God is not waiting us for us to fix everything. He is pursuing us through every single thing in our lives. Everything is formative. Everything. God was on the move here to pursue Jonah and to pursue us. To pursue Jonah's heart and my heart. You see, the only thing that we can say, the only thing that we can really do anytime a storm comes and anytime trial come, a trial comes into our lives, the only thing that we can do is exactly what the mariners did with Jonah. The only thing we can do is exactly what Jonah knew that he needed to do. Are you ready? Throw yourself in the storm. Throw yourself in the storm. It's not going to do you a bit of good to, to, to panic and, and to frantic panic and to throw things out of your life and to sleep it off. It's not going to work. Throw yourself into the storm. Think about your life. Examine your life. Reflect on your life. Think about your life. In particular, think about what's the main thing in your life. When trials come and the storm comes, think about the main thing in your life and work through what is it that's the main thing. Is the main thing in my life my timetable, my goals, uh, my wants, my comfort, my plans? Whenever any storm comes, any trial comes, we must do the difficult heart work of thinking about what's the main thing in my life. Am I really upset at this trial just because I didn't get my way or I'm not getting what I want or I'm not being heard like I want to? Is my life really about me and my comfort and my way and my timing? Trials and storms are the way that God gets our attention. And he wants us to throw ourselves into the storm and to think about what's the main thing in our lives. You see, when the gospel is breaking new ground, when the significance of Jesus' death and the significance of his resurrection, when the power of his death and the power of his resurrection begins to work in our lives and works and continues to work in our lives, it breaks new ground. And when it breaks new ground in our lives, what happens is the gospel works surrender. 
And the gospel works whole being surrender. Because when we start realizing that actually we think that our lives is just about me and what I want, my comfort and my goals, and when the trial comes, it breaks up that ground and reminds us that we need to lay down and submit to God. It reminds us that God is the most important thing, not my wants and my ways. And when the gospel begins to break new ground, it doesn't just bring whole being surrender. That's just a popular definition of this idea of repentance. To where we're acknowledging that our lives are just about us. It doesn't just work whole being surrender. It actually builds up boldness and courage in us. Because you see, on the one hand, we're not only admitting where our lives are just about us, but God's giving us courage and boldness because of the gospel to fight against anything else being the main thing other than God. And when the gospel is breaking ground in our lives, we become bold and we become courageous to fight against anything other than God and His glory being the main thing. And by His grace, we are willing to admit that. And by His grace, we are also admitting that God changes us and makes us courageous and bold. A couple of weeks ago, you all know that I went away on study leave for a couple of days and I uh, went to Asheville and uh, I stayed in the hotel for a couple of days. And, you know, Jenny has really been trying to work on me over the years. And as you all know, I don't really illustrate very well, and so you're going to have to bear with this illustration. You know how my illustrations are somewhat quirky and bizarre, so just get ready. So I stayed in a hotel for a few days a couple weeks ago, and Jenny has been working on me for years. I won't say train because, you know, it's a hard thing to train a stubborn heart like I have. But she's been trying to remind me over and over, you know, whenever you stay somewhere, check for bed bucks. Because she doesn't want me bringing them home, you know. Now, I forgot to check for bed bugs, but if I had checked, this is what would have happened. You see, when you stay someplace and you got to check for bed bugs, you know what has to happen. You can't go over to the bed and grab the sheets and slowly pull the sheets back, can you? Those little critters will scatter faster than you can imagine. What you have to do is play the element of surprise. You've got to grab the sheets and you've got to rip them back because you might get a glimpse of them. And if you don't get a glimpse of them, you might see some of their residue that they've been around. Well, in the same way, oftentimes the trials of life and the, the difficulties and the challenges and the storms of life have to hit us by surprise. Because if they hit us by surprise, they'll actually uncover what is really going on in our hearts. And oftentimes, storms come into our lives because they shock us into really thinking about how am I living? What am I living for? And what is the most important thing? And if we hadn't have been shocked by the trial or shocked by the storm, we would have thought everything is just great. But you see, God is committed to taking the gospel deeper and deeper into our lives. And therefore, there are going to be times where we are shocked and surprised by a trial. 
And it's in those moments that we have to understand not the cause, but the purpose that God is after us. And He's continuing to change us and transform us and remind us that we need Him and convince us that we can have boldness and courage in Him. Beloved, what if the grace of God has the effect in your life of not only admitting that you're a sinner, but what if the grace of God has the effect in your life where we more and where we increase in acknowledging that we've come to the end of ourselves more quickly? What if the grace of God is at work in our lives to convince us over and over and over again, oh yes, I'm at the end of myself. And we're able to admit that more quickly than we could five years ago, ten years ago, two months ago. God is changing us. And He's pursuing us. And that's why, as we look at this text together, in the midst of finding ourselves on the run, perhaps that's you. Perhaps you find yourself on the run when you think about this story and realize you're actually running from the face of God. Or maybe you find yourself in the middle of the storm. Maybe you find yourself this morning in the middle of a trial that you were not expecting. Or maybe you've been surprised by a storm. It's not just that you're in the middle of it, but you've realized, oh yeah, this was something I wasn't expecting at all. Or maybe you find yourself willing to throw yourself into the storm. In any of those things, those places are exactly where Jesus wants us to connect our lives with His. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking about this very story in Jonah. You see, those moments when we're on the run, throwing ourselves into the storm, understanding the storm, in those moments, we are supposed to connect our lives to Christ. You see, Jonah threw himself into the stormy sea, right? And those that were on the boat saw that Jonah had done this in verse 15 and verse 16. They saw that Jonah threw himself into the storm. And what did they do? They acknowledged that Jonah's God is the one true and living God. They even take vows. They commit their lives to this God. And they recognize that the only way to God is through sacrifice. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12 that a greater than Jonah has come. A greater than Jonah has come. You see, the whole idea of substitution, the whole idea of substitution has been compelling. It's always been compelling. And Jesus was not thrown into the sea. Jesus was thrown into the dark storm of God's wrath. And He threw Himself into the dark storm of God's wrath and He was raised from the dead as our substitute. So that in our lives, we can stop fixating on the cause of trials. And we can start realizing that we need to get to the purpose. And God's after our hearts. Jesus substituted Himself so that we can recognize how our trials connect us to Christ. And all that Christ has done. And all that He is for us. Jesus was our substitute so that we would stop running everywhere 
except to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you did not wait on Jonah to turn around. We thank you that you were after Jonah's heart and that you were pursuing him and you were committed to Jonah understanding the message of your grace and your mercy and your patience so that he then might carry that message to those that he despised, wrongfully despised. Lord, we thank you that it's at this moment in the story that you remind us that this is exactly where we are supposed to see Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you threw yourself into the horrific dark storm of your Father's wrath so that we might be freed from running, so that we might be freed from trying to understand the cause, that we might understand the purpose, that you want us to live for you in everything. And acknowledging our shortcomings is part of that. Holy Spirit, don't leave us alone until the gospel becomes what defines us. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.